Welcome to OVS Orbit, the podcast for Open vSwitch users and developers. This is episode 34. This is the third of several episodes recorded from talks at the Open Source Day for Open vSwitch, which was held at the OpenStack Summit in Boston on May 10th. This particular episode is presented by Sagesh Chandran and Banaprakash Bodhiretti from Intel's office in Ireland. Sagesh and Banu are active contributors to OVS and DPDK. Banu previously co-presented two talks on OVS DPDK at the Open vSwitch 2016 Fall Conference. You can find slides and videos for those talks on openvswitch.org. On to the talk. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm Bhanu Prakash. I work for vSwitch enabling team at Intel. Uh, good morning, all. Uh, my name is Sugesh Chandran. I also work for vSwitch enabling team in Intel. OK. Today, in this presentation, we are going to talk about OVS DPDK performance for real-world NFE deployments. In the first part of the presentation, I would be talking about the connection tracker and the performance implications of it. In the second part of the presentation, Sugesh should be talking about hotspots, bottlenecks, and troubleshooting of OVS DPDK. The introduction. So with NFE and software-defined networking gaining traction, the cloud providers, the enterprises, and the comm service providers, we call them CSPs, they started deploying their solutions based on open source on commercial off-the-shelf hardware, COTS hardware, we call it. So they have very demanding data plane performance needs, especially the CSP guys. They want line rate packet processing. On top of it, they want security because they probably have IPsec on their back halls, if not on the front halls. And they deal with smaller packets most of the times. They have very stringent latency budgets. They can't tolerate jitter, and they don't accept packet drops. It's a big problem. Thankfully, OVS, DPDK data path do provide compelling solution to achieve most of these goals. So while performance is really good, what is more important is security. People say security is important, but I would say security is more important than performance, right? So that's why the focus is now on zero trust environments. The zero trust environments is proposed by the National Institute of Science and Technology a few years back when they proposed a new security model. According to that model, they say we have to trust and verify the network instead of trust or verify the network. That's the biggest difference. Why this is needed? Because if you see, there has been a lot of attacks and security breaches in data centers. That's because the perimeter security, whatever we are deploying, is not adequate. Because the threat injection is happening well within the data centers. That's the fundamental problem. And that's what is, is all about zero trust environments. And that means the tenant and application specific fine-grained security policies has to be enforced with stateful filtering on per connection basis. So we will see how we are going to tackle this with connection tracker. So we use different operating systems. So we use Linux, FreeBSD, Solaris, Windows, for example. So you know most of these operating systems come up with their own security features. So most of us I know work on Linux. If you see in Linux, we have IP tables. We have been having IP tables from long time. So if I have to spin an instance, on the instance, if somebody says, do the packet filtering, I would go back and tune some, you know, write some IP table rules to match on fight apple, and then drop the packets or admit the packets. That's good. But the problem is, if you're looking at the cloud scale with thousands and 10,000s of 
nodes or instances, the problem is these IP tables do consume lots of resources. So we can't afford to burn so many cycles just for doing packet filtering inside the instances. So we have to offload all of that to a layer below the virtual instances or probably containers. That's where OVS is going to come, or for that matter, any virtual switch is going to come. Thanks to OVS, OVS do support connection tracker right now. OVS with connection tracker implementation brings in the capability to manage stateful connections. Most importantly, it can also provide robust attacks, robust uh, protection against all the attacks, and also provide stateful firewalls. Then comes the discussion. What do I want, stateless or stateful firewalls? So the problem here is, again, performance versus security. So when people talk about stateless firewalls, you're going to treat packet in isolation. The problem here is you have no memory of the previous packet. We are only going to look at the packet headers. It's good for performance. We can achieve line rate packet processing with stateless firewalls. But if you're concerned about security, then we should go with stateful firewalls, where we are going to look at the connections, and then when the new packet comes in, we are going to do a lookup into the connection tracker. Only if it matches, we are going to admit the connections. So stateful firewalls are important. So this is a snapshot of the Horizon dashboard. And we all know this is how we you know, spin, uh, I mean, instantiate an instance. So we would select the source, the flavors, and networks. After that, there is the security group here. So if we don't select any security group, by default, the instance would be assigned to the default security group in the bottom. That means all the egress packets would be allowed and all the ingress packets would be dropped. So I can't even ping my VM and I can't even SSH into the VM because the default security group doesn't allow me to do that. So what people do is they just go into the default security group, start putting more rules on top of it. So it's recommended not to do that. Instead, try creating your own security groups for your own needs, and then when you instantiate a VM that does more of HTTP traffic, or if it has more to do with the DNS, just assign that instance to that particular security group and make sure your security is foolproof. So now that we have created an instance, we are going to look at how the instance with security groups is enabled, is going to talk to an other instance with security groups enabled. Probably things probably would get complicated from here slightly. So here is an instance VM1 on running, running on Compute Node 1, which has an IP address of 10.0.0.3, and it's connected to the BR int through the vhost port. So we are on OVS DPDK, so we use uh, the DPDK vhost user ports. So the integration bridge and tunnel bridge are connected through the patch ports, and the same thing is on the other Compute Node as well. The VM2 has an IP address of 10.0.0.13, and we have an integration on the tunnel bridge. And please note that there is this overlay network between these two compute nodes, so all the packets would be tunneled. So we are using VXLANs here. So before trying to understand how the packet egress and ingress happens here, let's look at few obvious fundamentals. Fundamentally, the packet processing in OVS is divided into four stages. So the packet would hit the port, so it can be a physical port or a vhost port, and the PMD threads would poll these packets. So it would poll a maximum of 32 packets. And after receiving the burst of packets, he would give the packet to the packet classifier. So we have the data path classifier. And once the packets are classified, 
all the packets are batched according to the flows. So as you can see here, there are quite a number of flows. And what a flow is, flow comprises of match fields, counters, and the set of instructions that can be applied on these matching packets. Instructions do have an action or a set of actions. So if you see the flow A, the corresponding action here is push a tunnel. For flow B, forward the packet to output port 2. That can be a DPDK port or that can be VHOS port. For flow C, the action is CT. That means send this packet to connection tracker. That's what we are interested in. That's why it is highlighted. And the next action is recirculate. Recirculate this packet into the data path. And for flow D, it says commit. That means store this information into the connection tracking table. And for flow E, the action is push VLANs. And for flow F, it is pop VLANs. This is not the exhaustive list of all the actions, but we have covered most of the actions that we needed for this presentation. So let's focus now on the recirculation. So with security groups enabled here, what happens is when the packet comes in, it can come on a physical port or on a virtual port or the vhost user ports. The PMD would take the packets and classify the packets. After that, these packets would hit flow B. Sorry for the font. I realize that it is very small now. So you can see hyphen TRK on top of it in very small letters. The TRK stands for track, but it is minus TRK. That means this is not tracked. Yes, this is not tracked by connection tracker eight. These packets would hit flow B, and the corresponding action for this is CT. So send this packet to the connection tracker. So what we are going to do inside that is we are going to change the metadata of the packet by setting those two fields. One field is CS new connection tracker state new. The other state is connection tracker state track. And once we set this data into the packet metadata, we are, once we set the bits into the metadata, we are going to recirculate the packet. That's what it, it meant by recirc, and we have an ID for it. We will come to that in a short time. So as part of recirculation, the packet would come back into the pipeline. And now, this won't hit flow B. It would hit flow C. The reason being, it has the connection tracking bits set. So it would hit flow C, and the actions here is CT commit. So write this connection information into the connection tracking table. So after that, we are going to forward this packet onto output port two. Again, that can be DPDK port or VHOS port. So one of the problems here is you have the CT table. That probably would be used by multiple PMD threads when you're handling millions of connections. So when you're handling millions of connections coming from different ports, you have multiple PMD threads. All of them has to write the state into the CT table. That means probably we may have a lot of synchronization issues here. And from here on, when the new packets come in, they would hit flow B, and they won't hit flow C from here on. Instead, they would hit flow D, because the connection would have been established by this time, because we would have got a reply from the other port. And after this, we would only hit flow B and flow D. You would see plus EST. That means plus, I mean, it's established. The connection is established, so you would directly forward the packet onto the DPDK port or the VHOS port. Now you don't do any commits because it's already present and you have looked into your connection tracker table. As part of lookup, you've got the connection is established, so you would directly forward the packet onto the DPDK port. In spite of that, you have to still do recirculation here. And now we will get back into the flow rules. So this is the example where we started with. 
So we said the VM1 was trying to send packets to VM2, and we have the vhost ports, we have the patch ports, we have the tunnel bridge. So these are the flow entries. Just for easiness, I have highlighted two things. One thing is in red, that's what is used by the connection tracker. The other things are in blue. This is just to highlight the actions. So we have three flow entries here. And the first rule says we are going to match on few fields here. CT state is minus TRK. When the packet is coming out of the VM for the first time, yes, this packet is not tracked, so it is minus TRK. And the recirculation ID is zero, yes, we are going to match on that. Input port is six, yes, it's the vhost port because the packet is coming out of the VM, yes, we match on that. And the MAC address, it matches on that. The ETH type and the IPv4 IP address, which is 10.0.0.3. So we match on all these fields, so we will execute the action, which is CT. So this packet would be sent to the connection tracker, and there we are going to set the connection tracking bits again, CS new and CS track. So there is something more here, like zone four. This is mostly used because we can have overlapping IP addresses because we are using overlays, so that's why we have June here. And then the recirculation ID. So you can see a proper recirculation ID mentioned here, which is 0x188. So these are the actions. After that, we are going to look at the other flow rules, which has this proper recirculation ID. So thankfully, I have sorted this, and the second rule has the recirculation ID, which is 0x188. So in this, in this particular match, if you see, the CT state is plus established, so we are going to match on that. And it's coming from the vhost port, good. But here, the action is we are going to push the tunnel. So we are going to push the tunnel, and we are going to output this packet on the BRENS, which is your physical bridge. So that's the end of the rule two. And the third flow says, if the packet is coming onto the bridge, physical bridge, you are going to output the packet, which is action three, to the physical DPDK port. So this is how the packet, which started from the vhost port, it would come out of the physical bridge, I mean physical port, after the tunnel is inserted. So while the contract-based security groups is good for VMs, the biggest use case is using this at the edge, enabling the firewalls at the edge, actually, because that's where the source of traffic is, because you're going to, gig, you're going to get gigs of traffic you know, at, at your source. So this is a very simplistic uh, firewall that probably an organization can use. So the right side is your organization or your internal network, and the left side is the internet. So, and there is a firewall in between. All the new connections from the, from the organization should be allowed to the internet, and all the established connections can be allowed back to the organization. And there is this third arrow which says related. It's interesting because, you know, when we are doing the FTPs and TFTPs, we know that uh, FTPs and TFTPs beat on active mode or passive mode. We have two channels. One is the data channel and the control channel. And the control channel is where the negotiation happens, which is your 20 or 22 port, depends upon your active or passive mode. And then the data happens over your data channel. So that's why we have these related flows here. That's purely for FTPs and TFTPs. And so we are going to allow in new connections. We are going to allow in established connections. We are going to allow in related flows. But any new connection from the internet has to be dropped according to this firewall because that is deemed as an attack. So this is what we are going to uh, use for next 10 slides to portray the performance numbers. And in our lab, what I have done is to simplify this case, I was using something like this, where I have hundreds of HTTP clients on the right side, and 
I had a big HTTP server farm on the left-hand side, and in between is the firewall, which is the device under test. So that's where the obvious DPDK is running, and we have the connection tracking enabled there. So there is this massive HTTP traffic happening over this, and unfortunately, I had only 10 gig interfaces here, so I couldn't test 40 gig uh, because I had A2 double fine and Niantic card, uh, so I can only test like 10 gig traffic here. But having said that, the limitation is coming from my interfaces. The limitation is not coming from obvious DPDK here. Please note that. So when we say connection tracking and the connection tracker performance, we miss few things. People obviously think it's the connections per second or the throughput that's mostly important. But I would say we have to look at a couple of more metrics when we look at the connection tracker performance. So these are a couple of things I would be talking through in the next 10 slides. And the first thing is connection. So we would stick to TCP IP uh, uh, you know, protocol here. So the connection, we know it's a three-way handshaking mechanism. And the transaction is the layer seven transaction that happens on top of your TCP connection. The concurrent connections, we know we have like massive number of concurrent connections happening between the clients and servers, and then the connections per second. You can do like 65,000, 75,000, or 80,000 connections. Just make connections. You're not doing any transactions here. So that's connections per second. And transactions per second is you have the connection, and on top of it, you do a lot of transactions. That's transactions per second. Throughput, we all know. Protocol latency. Protocol latency is the time elapsed between the protocol, sending the protocol request and receiving the re reply. And what is most important is the TTFPs and TTLBs. So please remember this because uh, we are going to talk about this in next few slides when we're dealing with the performance. The TTFB stands for time to first byte. So this is the time elapsed between the client sending the request and the first byte of the response. That's TTFB. TTLB is the time elapsed before the client receives the last byte of the response. So TTFB is one of the most important metric used by Google and other ranking algorithms when they have to list the pages. So this is your TCP three-way handshaking mechanism. So the top three things is the SYN, SYNAC, and ACK followed by the layer seven transactions, that's in purple color, and followed by the TCP teardown, uh, you know, that's a four-way handshaking mechanism. So what is a desirable connection? When we test connection tracker, what is a connection? Is it just establishing a connection? Definitely not. You have to establish a connection and then do transaction, and probably after that you have to tear down the connection. This is what we call it as a desirable connection. So that's what it is. You, you do a SYN, SYNAC, and ACK, you do transactions. If you are not going to do like 10 transactions, at least to do one layer seven transactions, you send a request, you get a response, and after that you tear down the connection. This is a desirable connection. But having said that, this is not possible because maybe you run out of resources when you're trying to test like thousands of connections, like millions of connections. The second thing is also desirable, but less desirable. In this case, we are going to do a partial transaction so you would send a request, but the server won't send you any reply because he ran out of resources. So this is still allowed, and you finally you would do the proper TCP teardown. Even this is considered a transaction, I mean, a proper connection, but it is less desirable. The third one is not so recommended because it's partial layer seven transaction followed by the reset. So, so when we talk about connection tracker performance here, we are doing the first one and not the second and third here. Please note this. 
So this is, this is something to get your attention. So in the morning, I was trying to pull uh, the performance of uh, this openstack.org, how, how accessible is it? If you look at the stats here, I was talking about the TTFB, right? That's what is highlighted here, time to first byte. So when I was trying to access this openstack.org, TTFB is 82 milliseconds, pretty impressive because I think the servers are sitting close by in US itself. Uh, but the initial connection, it's the TCP establishment time. That is like 115 milliseconds. That's just above that. And the DNS lookup took 29 milliseconds. It's all pretty impressive numbers because these servers are in US itself. But if you try, uh, you know, uh, pinging some other website using this webpage.org, you would see massive latencies. Try pinging uh, probably a page which is hosted in China or some other countries. You would see totally different statistics. Uh, you can use that webpage test.org to get these numbers. So from here on, we would discuss more about the performance. So the first test which I'm going to talk about is the HTTP client server throughput test. As I already said, I was limited by uh, the network card bandwidth, so I can only do like 10 gig traffic. So I had the connection tracker enabled with OVS TPDK, and I was doing the throughput test. So there are two things to note here. The blue is with connection tracking enabled, and the red is with connection tracker disabled, because I need to compare these two things. And I have the green arrows on all sides. On the top left is the higher the better. For all the remaining three, the lower the better. OK, so let's look at the TCP connections. This particular test was run for 300 seconds, and it was run for quite a few iterations, like 10 iterations or something. So during the 300 seconds, total of 300,000 connections were done. And note that there were no retries, no timeouts. This is with connection tracker enabled, and even with disabled. So obviously, there was no bottleneck here. Next comes the TCP connect time. This is your TCP connection establishment time with connection tracking enabled. So obviously, when we disable connection tracker, it would be good because there is no packet recirculation. So the max connection time here was 400 microseconds, and with connection tracking, it's 900, it's double because we have recirculation, obviously, and there are other bottlenecks. And for the connection time, average connection time was pretty less, it's 200, that's the average, it's 200 microseconds. With connection tracking enabled, it's close to 700 microseconds, not bad, in fact. And, and if you look at the bottom left, it's the TTFPs, which is the most important metric. With connection tracking disabled, the maximum TTFB was 800 microseconds, again, that's good. Even with connection tracking enabled, it's 1,600 microseconds. So, so the acceptable TTFB for a, for a decent site is 500 milliseconds. So we don't see things at milliseconds here because you know we are not accessing a real web page here. Instead, we are doing some page which is like easily accessible. There is no DNS. There are no latencies. It's a single pipe. You know That's why we always are in microsecond range. But the Last thing is impressive, because if you look at, we are in millisecond range there. Probably you would all have noted that. So the, the top right and the bottom left is in microseconds, but the bottom right is in milliseconds. So the reason being, I was trying to download one meg files from the HTTP server. Obviously, when I tried downloading like one meg files from the HTTP server, the time to receive the last byte of the data would be massive. So that's why we are in millisecond range there. So even with and without connection tracker, it's decent. So even with connection tracker, we are at 50 milliseconds. That's pretty impressive. So now that we know the throughputs 
Now this, all of these numbers are for throughput test. Now that we know these numbers, let's see where the bottlenecks are. So I'm not going to go through the entire bottlenecks here because that itself is a big presentation. So, so I would explain you the basics here. As you know, the Intel microarchitecture has the front end and back end. Front end is the place where the macro instructions are fetched. They are decoded into hardware micro instructions and we feed these micro instructions into the back end. That's what the front end does. In the back end, we monitor the data operand availability and after that we execute these micro operations and we commit the results into the CPU registers and we also write back these values into the memory. So that's what the back end is. So if you're looking at the top left figure, so we all talk about the micro operations. There are four things which are important. The rightmost is the retiring. So when the micro operation passes through the processor pipeline and it gets executed, that is what is retiring. So that's why it is in green color. So we have executed that micro operation. For some reason, you have fetched a micro operation, you were trying to execute a micro operation, but then you realize there was a branch misprediction or machine clears, you cancel a micro operation. That's what is bad speculation. So next comes the backend bound or the frontend bound. What it means is uh, the backend bound can issue four micro operations a cycle, if you see any of the Haswell processors. So that means to execute one micro operation, you would theoretically take 0.25 cycles. So that's what we call it CPI, cycles per instruction. Theoretically, it has to be 0.25, but you won't achieve it for sure. Uh, the acceptable limit is close to one or something, but most of the functions would be at 0.75 to 0.6. It depends upon what those functions are doing. So if, if for some reason the pipeline slots are uh, occupied, that means the backend bound would not be, I mean, the backend would not be able to execute these instructions. That's what we call it as backend bound. If the backend bound is pretty free, but the frontend bound is not, but the frontend is not able to fetch the instructions, that's what we call it as frontend bound. Obviously, the bottleneck would be, I mean, when we talk about the bottlenecks, it can be frontend bound, it can be backend bound, or it can be bad speculation. So if you look at the high-performance computing applications, the, these are the acceptable lim limits, the bottom right. So for a HPC application, obvious DPDK is a user-space high-performance computing application. The front-end bound acceptable limit is within 5 to 10%. So you can spend 5 to 10% of the cycles in the front-end. And 1 to 5% of the cycles can be in bad speculation. 20 to 40% is ac acceptable limit for bad back-end bound. And 30 to 70% is micro-operations has to be retiring. But with obvious DPDK connection tracker for this particular throughput test, please note, this is for this particular throughput test. It's, it's a bit front-end bound. It's slightly higher the range. There was not much of bad speculation. And it's back-end bound because it's at the top of the range. And the number of instructions it is retiring is also less. So if you look at the bottlenecks here, we know uh, the bottlenecks is at the CSUM continue function. And uh, we don't want to explain this. But if you see, much of this is back-end bound because it's spending 55% of the cycles at L1 and 27% of the cycles at L3. So next is the test which talks about the, the concurrent, I mean, the number of connections per second. In this Thanks, case, Maru. you can see uh, welcome to the, second know, part the of connect times so are pretty high, this and part there is a reason for that. If you see all the connect times, TTFBs and TTLBs are pretty high. You know, the reason being, so uh, in if you talk about real-world telco deployments, for that matter, this is the common architecture, and the exact match cache will have like 8,000 and that gets fully in less than a second. But the thing is, OVS-TPDK also now a viable choice for real-world telco deployments, because it can offer the comparable performance, what is 
questions. So in this test, as you can see, so I want to start this presentation with a disclaimer, which is I'm not going to showcase any kind of performance numbers, what OBS TPDK, or I'm not going to do any kind of comparison between what these are doing. Because the reason being, there are a few other presentations that happened in past two days. Past two days in and also, if you talk about real-world use cases that are varied from use of use, they have their own use cases, and then based on that, your numbers can vary. I don't want to showcase taking some use case and then show that numbers. So that's why I didn't show any numbers. Of course, I have some slides which has a link to show that where you can look at it, what the numbers it is. But here, I'm not going to talk about that. So this talk is mainly about. Uh, how OVS TPDK process packets, and also we look at it, some of one of the telco use cases, how that can be used for it. And also we look at it, uh, some of the debugging and performance fine tuning aspect based on that particular use case. And finally, we also look at uh, some of the hotspot. So let's look at the classification part of OVS TPDK in bit detail, because the Banu already talked about how the packet processing happening in the previous connection tracking slide. So this part, I'm going to talk about how the classification in OVS-TPDK happened in it, a bit of a high level. So basically, any packet which landed on OVS-TPDK that first uh, hit on uh, the first uh, level of lookup, which is called exact match cache. So where what happened is like the packets are uh, trying to mat, do an exact match on the table in that exact match cache. If you don't find a match, it goes to the next layer, which is called the classifier, where you can do the wildcard match. And if you don't find a match on that, then it goes to the next layer, which is your OF proto layer, or where you do program your uh, open flow rules and your bridges. And that's a place normally the management program the flows. And if you, if, you, if you don't find any flows in these two first two stages, it goes to the last stage, which is the OF proto layer. And if it find a match on any of these stages, it executes the corresponding action. And also, please note, when a, a match found on a particular stage, it insert that flow into the preceding stages. So if I find a match on OF proto layer, definitely it insert that flows into the data path, a classifier as well as the EMC, because if any packet comes later on, it hit on that stage itself. You don't have to process all the stages so that you have very less processing overhead. So just keep in mind, so uh, when we are explaining about the debugging aspects, so this will help to understand how, uh, what we are looking at and then how we are doing. So troubleshooting. So it's not that bad like how it's shown in the figure anyway. So we'll go through it anyway. So, <laughs> uh, so for the troubleshooting, so we are taking a, a use case. So basically, we are looking at a, a, a simple telco use case where you have a four VNF. They are connected to OVS-TPDK in a chain manner. And then the traffic coming through one of the physical ports, and then they traverse to this VNF. The VNF do some packet processing. And then it comes out of the TPDK one. So the scenario. Uh, for the debugging aspects, the scenario what we are looking at is like, the, the packets are coming into the DPDK0 or the physical port, and then we are not getting any packet out of DPDK1. We don't know why it is happening. So let's go through it, what, why it's, we are not getting any packet in the other part of the port. So we will go through the obvious DPDK commands and see why it is not packet forwarded. So actually, because of the limited time, we didn't put a live demo, so we will go through the steps on the slides because the time is very limited. Uh, so when you start debugging the, uh, this kind of a problem, right, if the packets are not forwarding and if something goes wrong, we start with your management layer, where your OF proto layer. We look at 
what are the bridges has been configured, what are the ports they have. So in this case, I'm just, uh, I have a one bridge configured for the sake of simplicity and explaining. I just created one bridge and all ports are added to the same bridge. So we look at it, what is that bridge? And then we look at what are their ports has been configured. And here we look at also the port number. So these are the open flow port number they are assigned to it. So you can get that information using this dump port description. So if you look at over the, uh, the deployment, right, with the four VNF, these are the port number assigned in your open flow layer, right? And now we know what is the port number assigned to it. Next, let's look at what flows has been configured in your open flow layer, right, on your management layer so that you can get it using your dump flows. And honestly, if you are looking at these flows in a, a real-world telco deployments where you use OpenStack, uh, you really miss, uh, you really, I mean, you couldn't find anything on this because it's a lot of tables and then it has configured with, it travels through multiple tables. And then if you're trying to debug something using this flow entries, it's quite hard to do that, believe me. So, but still, you can find some information over here. So the first things what you can find over here is there are some statistics value. So that will tell you uh, in your traffic whether it's hitting on any flows. So that is a one important information you can look at it. So, and also, please note when you are doing this debugging, uh, you can send the traffic in and you can do some watch, you know, the next watch command and then running on this commands and then you know is there is any statics that are changing, okay? So, Look at the statistics and see that if there is any updating. And also look at the, the match field and also the action. And then you can traverse to them and then see that if there is, a, if there is any hit happening on that flows. So in our scenario, so that we are, what we are looking at is like we have the packets coming in. It's not coming out of the other port, right? And we look at the control path. And unfortunately, there is no flows hit happening over here. We don't know why still. Uh, we look, this is, this is actually the snapshot of that uh, control path flow. And we found that there is no hit happening. We don't know why. So let's look at, okay, we don't find any match or we don't find any information from the control path. So let's dig deep in and then go to the data path. Let's see what's happening there, right? Because the data path is the place where you do the packet processing, which is the first two stages, your exact match cache and the classifier. So let's look at that. So before going to the data path debugging, I wanted to talk a bit about uh, uh, the data path flows and the data path ports. What I mean by that is, in your open flow layer, you have a concept called open flow bridges and the ports, you add them, and then you have open flow flows that can be configured. But when you come to the data path, in OVS, DPDK especially, so it's a simple flat switch. And then the ports, what you have in your control path, that has, has to be converted into the corresponding port number in data path. And also, your open flow rules has been converted into the flat switch format in your data path. So that's the flows has been installed on your data path. What I mean by that is the data path in those first two stages. So please keep in mind that. So, and so this is the port number assignment, uh, or I would say the mapping between what is you have in your management port and your control path for, for this test cases or for this uh, deployment scenario. So now, how do we know that? How do we know uh, this open flow port is mapped to this corresponding data path? Of course, there is a command for that. You can 
look at the DPIF show, that will tell you what is your uh, control path, uh, 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 your uh, open flow port, and what is your data path port corresponding to that, okay? So now we know what is your ports in your data path. Well, uh, the next thing, what we look at is like, uh, what is the statistics of this port? So because we are trying to figure out there is some problem in your network, the packets are not forwarding. So the next thing what we look at is like in the data path, what is the statistics? That will give you some information about what happened for that packet. So in this case, we see that the incoming port, which is the DPDK0, you are getting the incoming packet, and then it's completely dropping over there itself, and we don't know why. And, and also another important thing which you can look at it is your lookup hit. So the lookups are the, the numbers which will tell you uh, actually uh, how many packets are processed by your data path, which is your first two stages. So in this case, it's interesting, it's all handled in the data path itself. So there are some flows there in the data path that processing these packets. So let's look at what is your flows in your data path. So this is the data path flows. You can uh, get that information using the DPCTL dump flows in OVSTPDK. So that will tell you actually what flows are really uh, uh, processing those packets. Okay, so, and also please note that you get this statics only when there is a traffic ongoing because these flows are installed only to the data path only when there is a traffic going on. If, the, if the there is no traffic, the flows get timed out and it evicted from the data path. So in this case, I am keep sending the traffic and then I found a flow which says that drop and also we look at, so if, and also we look at what are the, uh, uh, the 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 uh, parameters of the, the match fields because that will give you an idea about what really uh, happened for that particular packet. So this is basically uh, created based on the signature of uh, incoming packet. Okay. So now we know that we have some flows in data path, and then it's saying that dropping the packet, which means the flows that you have configured in your control path is not exactly matching with what you have in your data path. So let's go back and look at our control path flows. So this is the same command what we seen earlier, the, the dump flows in OF layer. So that will give you uh, what you have configured in your OF proto layer. So we, we start from your control path with OF proto layer. We went through the data path. We look at what has been happened there. Now we are going to do a comparison between the flows, what you see in the data path with the control path, so that we know that why the packets are dropping in. A drop, drop out, okay? So when you look at your control path, and also another thing is like even you can use, uh, 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 maybe sub, uh, if you're looking at the control, control path flows, uh, you can see that the, the, the flow match entries, what is provided in the control path flows are different than what you've seen in the data path. Why it is happening? Because the data path flows are exactly matching with what is your incoming traffic and the control path flows are the flows what you have configured. So if you have a mismatch between these two, which means the packets what you are coming into the uh, OVS TPDK is not matching with the flows that has been configured. So now what is uh, what we can do now? So because in this case, now the match, the source address is not matching with the, what you configured in the control path with the packet coming in. We have two choices. One is you need to change the traffic to make sure that it has to match with the managing traffic or we can change the flow, uh, the flows in your control uh, on your uh, OF layer so that it matches with your incoming traffic. So I just change the uh, flow 
to match with, match with the incoming traffic. And then let's see what happened. So, and after changing the, the flow correctly, it started, the packets are started flowing properly and also your data path flows get updated properly. You can see that. That's good. So now we know how we debug if you have some issue. It's very crucial and to understand how your data path flows and how your control path flows are related and especially to know about what is this port number mapping and how the flows are related. So that way you know how you debug if there is an issue like that. And also, this is also important if you wanted to debug something like if you, uh, some performance issue that happened because of the packets are flooding across all the ports. And that will you will get to know only when you look at it, your data path flows and then see what is happening. So the next part of the presentation, I want to look at uh, some of the performance issue. So we are considering the same use case and also we, we, we look at it uh, how uh, we, we create a, a performance uh, issue scenario and then see that how we uh, figure out in, uh, uh, in this deployment. So, so before getting into that, I want to bring your attention again back to the same, uh, the classification part, where I want to talk a bit about a PMD, which is the pole mode driver thread. That's a part of the DPDK time, probably Banu already talked about that. So the PMD thread is the, the major, the packet processing uh, core of the OVS TPDK, I would say, because what it does is it takes the packets from the uh, ports continuously, pull from the ports continuously, and then it processes them in a run-to-completion manner, and then again it go back and pro get more packets. So basically the PMD threads are, the advantages of PMD threads are it doesn't have any interrupt or anything, and it doesn't have any contact switching. You run that on your uh, particular core, and it continuously running that. So, so, uh, uh, basically the scenario what we are trying to do here is like we are uh, we are creating a scenario where we overflow the EMC we created 100k concurrent connection in the same setup where you have four VMs and then we see that we created a, a, a very high load on the test setup so what happened is like now the same like what connection tracker uh, Banu did when you have a so many concurrent connection your overhead goes up, you need to do the packet processing in exact match cache and it has to be do it in the uh, classifier. So when you are looking at the performance of OVSTPDK or if you are trying to fine tune the performance of OVSTPDK, you have to look at it, what is really your PMD threads are doing? Because as I told earlier, PMD threads are the one who is doing the packet processing. So if you look at it, the statistics of the PMD thread, you will know what really went wrong. So in this case, the example what I told, like the exact match cache is overflowing and it's processing in the classifier. Definitely your performance is very low. So now let's look at uh, what this PMD thread is doing. So you can, this is a command you use for to know the stats of your PMD. So the first thing is it will tell you which core it's running and then the next factor is it will tell you what is your EMC and mega flow hits. This is very important point. So that will tell you where exactly your packet processing is happening. Is it in your EMC or is it in your mega flow? So in this example, as I told earlier, I deliberately make 100K connections, so it's always processing in your mega flow. So that means there is a overhead associated with that. And also another important factor you need to look at it is your, what is your polling and processing cycle? So what mean by polling and processing cycle here? The polling cycle actually tell you 
uh, how many cycles of that PMD is doing the polling from the packet from the port. So in an ideal case, in a best performance case, the, the, the thread has to do more polling and less processing. So that way, I mean, of course, I mean, it do more, it get more packet into the system and it can process more. If it is in another way around, you have a problem. That means it's doing some processing, that's where you're getting low performance. So in this case, the, 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 the scenario what we created, you can see that the polling and processing cycle is kind of almost equal, which is 53 and 46 percentage. So that means it's doing some very heavy workload in the system. That's why you are not getting the best performance. So, and also another important aspect you have to look at is like your average subtable lookup. So this will tell you in your megaflow or in your uh, classifier, how many subtable it's processing. So that's an another term I want to bring up here, which is in a mega, mega flow cache or the, the classifier table, the table is divided into multiple subtables. So if, it, if you are doing a lookup on the, your, uh, uh, your classifier, if it has to traverse to multiple tables, your cost going to be high, which means your processing also uh, will, will take more time. So that is also one other important uh, parameter you need to look at when you're looking at the performance tuning stuff. So now what we did was we reduced the uh, number of uh, uh, reduced the number of connections from 100k to 10k. So what happened is like the EMC hits went up, and also the polling cycles are went up. Now this is a one aspect how we look at when we are uh, debugging the performance uh, when we are trying to fine tune uh, uh, fine tune performance in an OVS TPDK. And another thing we wanted to consider in when we are uh, fine-tuning performance in OVS TPDK is, now we know the PMD threads are the one who does the packet processing. Next thing is, we have to look at how the ports are uh, shared across the PMD threads. So that will tell you like uh, basically uh, what is the distribution. So you have to make sure that uh, your uh, load distribution should be uh, proper between the PMD thread for the, for the best performance. So in this case, what we have done is like, I increased my PMD thread from two to four to get more performance, but for some reason I'm not getting it. Then I look at this command, which will give you how your port distribution happened. So in this case, it's uh, ununiform distributed, which means your ports are not properly distributed between the PMD thread. So which means some PMD threads is more work, some of them are doing very less work. So what we do, we just uh, allocate the port in such a way that all PMD threads are properly loaded so that you get the best performance in all the cases. We did that, it's a, uh, a allocation properly, and then now your performance, you get better performance. So that's all about the performance fine tuning aspect. So you look at the performance fine tuning and the debugging aspects. The next thing I wanted to briefly talk about, what are the hotspots in OVS TPDK? So all these things are we talked about based on what we seen in the real world telco deployments. So, the, the, the first thing I wanted to talk about EMC thrashing that I already shown that where you have your EMC is uh, keep on thrashing. And the second thing is I already talked the Megaflow cost. So basically that will tell you about, uh, you know, uh, the Megaflow is sending more time. So there are a lot of work happening on uh, increasing the performance on that. So basically I think the time is getting out actually looks like. So probably I have only two more slides. Uh, I, can, I can finish up soon, one second. So, the, the, another aspect also, the main hotspot in OVS TPDK is the slow vhost. So this is another important thing you need to consider in your telco deployment, which is the vhost ports are so slow. 
what I mean by that is sometimes your the 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 VM or the VNF, which is the application running on that they're slow, they cannot process more packet, which means it blocks the PMD thread that eventually affects the overall performance. So in this case, what you can do, use multi-queue, multi-queue vhost ports, and also uh, try to use a DPDK-based front-end into a VM so that you don't get a bottleneck when, the, when you are sending traffic into the VNF. And the other thing is the recirculation. Probably I'm not going to talk about that. Actually, Banu already talked about that. So if you have a connection tracking plus the tunneling, you have a much overhead of a recirculation which makes the packet processing much difficult. So, uh, if you if you have a use, we are also working on some of the patches to avoid the recirculation in the tunneling cases. So probably that will improve the performance in the later stages. So as a summary, so obvious TPDK offer comparable performance as RIOV. So if you want to know what numbers and other stuff, probably you can look at this PDF where it has a, a great comparison between what are what test cases we have run and things like that. And it also it offers full-fledged VSwitch switches. It's a production quality switch, and also. If you are deploying OBS TPDK in production deployment, try to understand the OBS command. Try to understand how the packet processing happening in OBS TPDK. That really helps you to fine tune and to get the best performance all the time. And also, there are a lot of development happening in the OBS code base. So if you're using the latest OBS, definitely OBS TPDK, you get the best performance always. And also, if you have any problem, especially in, in your telco or, or any deployment, please feel to reach the community. We are looking into those issues and trying to fix that. So that's pretty much. Any questions? OBS Orbit is edited and produced by Ben Pfaff using Audacity audio editing software and released under the Creative Commons unported 3.0 license. The intro and bumper music in this episode is excerpted from Electro Deluxe by My Free Mickey and the outro from Girls Like You by Stefan Kartenberg, both under the Creative Commons attribution unported 3.0 license. For more episodes of OBS Orbit, visit ovsorbit.org, or for more information about OpenVSwitch, visit openvswitch.org.